The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Star Wars 7x7 episode 1902. Today, we're going to start digging into the myths and fables by George Mann and looking at three particular force-using related ones today. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode where we are going to try something dangerous. (laughs) So we've been told that the book Myths and Fables by George Mann is not to be taken literally. These are stories that would have been passed on over the years and become fairy tales within the Star Wars universe, but they're not necessarily meant to literally depict any particular events within the galaxy. And yet, and yet, because of the fact that actual characters that we know and love or know and fear are depicted in myths and fables. We're going to talk about them and see what kind of actual reality we might be able to layer on to these stories based on what we already know about the Star Wars saga. And as I mentioned before on yesterday's episode, we're going to be taking these three at a time. So the first two I'm going to talk about are actually connected stories inside myths and fables, and they're separated by a few stories within the book. And then the third one is not necessarily connected to that, but we'll discuss that one after the break. So we're not there yet. We're going to talk about the two connected ones, the Wanderer and the Dark Wraith today. And as I mentioned yesterday, these will be spoilery episodes. So if you're not ready for that, then save the show for a later date. But if you're okay with me diving in, let's do it. So both the Wanderer and the Dark Wraith are depicted as taking place on the planet Sorosha and focus on a city named Solace, which is the jewel on the edge of the Boralic Sea. So what a lovely setting it is. And the people of Solace are just, you know, general, hardworking, you know, kind and, you know, ordinary people who have been faced with some extraordinary challenges from time to time. And in The Wanderer, we are told about three of those challenges. The Wanderer is a Jedi Knight, or at least seems to be depicted like a Jedi Knight. He's described as having a sword that seemed to glow with its own inner light. And in the illustration by Grant Griffin, you know, it's pretty clear that this is a lightsaber. And there's a reference to the notion of Jedi power in here as well in describing the guy who is not named, and we'll get to that part in a minute, but it says, He commanded the power of the gods, for he understood the natural order of things and had power over all the creatures and the trees and the rising tide. So yeah, that's definitely a depiction of Jedi stuff. He's by himself, and he only shows up three times in the story and in the hours of greatest need for the people. As far as Jedi go, like when they're going out and about, they're generally in pairs and often a master and apprentice, right? So it occurred to me just for, you know, the fun of considering it, that maybe this is a former Jedi who took the Barash vow, for example, and decided to, you know, remove themselves from the Order and, you know, just communicate with the Force, but only in dire situations where he felt like he had to do something about what was happening. 
in the town of Solace, did he actually intervene and kind of, you know, revoke his Barash vow, if you will, and actually get involved with what was going on in the area. So the three situations that happen are, first of all, there are a bunch of pirates that are stealing a bunch of stuff, and unfortunately the townspeople aren't able to muster up a force that can deal with the pirates, and so the Wanderer shows up and deals with it, and all of their ill-gotten goods the pirates' ill-gotten goods, are returned to their rightful owners, which is lovely. The second time it happens, because of the fact that the port has been prospering, they start drilling out elsewhere and unfortunately disturb a hive of some really awful creatures that start coming loose and infesting the town of Solace and eating children, which is <laughs> rather awful. Scores of children, as depicted. Until the Wanderer comes and the Wanderer meditates in the town square and is able to take control of the creatures and lead them back to the place, to the drilling site from whence they came. But the Wanderer also destroys the drills and the people of Solace understand that they are not to upset the natural of order, things, order of things that way and not drill anymore. And the third situation has to do with some unnatural weather that causes a huge rising tide that is going to wipe out the city and its residents. And the story talks about it being suspected of not being naturally created. The time at which this is happening, it doesn't necessarily suggest that Operation Cinder has been underway. This is immediately what popped to my mind when I was reading it. But Operation Cinder wasn't put into place until after the fall of the Galactic Empire. And it's just the timing doesn't work necessarily unless you're, you're considering the possibility that it was tested in some way on the planet Sorosha. Or maybe it had nothing to do with it at all, but it was just fun to consider the possibility. And this Wanderer, this former current something Jedi, Grey Jedi, ha ha ha, that's another, another discussion for another time, uh, comes and in an hour-long standoff holds back the rising tide of water and ultimately the storm breaks and everybody in Solace is saved. Phew! Now, if we were to try to pin a time on this story, well, I think you would be hard-pressed to say anything other than it can't have happened after 4 ABY, after the events of Return of the Jedi, because, of course, Darth Vader is dead. And the reason why Darth Vader has anything to do with this is because of the other story that takes place on Sorosha, which is the Dark Wraith. And Grant Griffin, who is the illustrator for the book, has said in interviews that, yes, this is Darth Vader that's being depicted in the illustration for this story. So we are hearing a story, a legend, a fable, if you will, about Darth Vader and about how he laid waste to the town of Solace. And the Wanderer never showed up to fight, possibly because the Wanderer was gone or because, as the story goes, maybe he was you know not strong enough to be able to face the Dark Wraith. Probably what ended up happening, let's just take a wild stab at it, is that Darth Vader, on his mission to destroy all of the Jedi that were kicking around in the galaxy, showed up on Sorosha to kill the Wanderer and, in the process, laid waste to the joint and to everybody who might have been keeping him safe. And funnily enough, the story actually says that the people of Solace were hoping beyond hope that the Wanderer would show up. And, you know, it's just odd that we were talking about the notion of hoping against hope in Monday's podcast and what an odd phrase that is and about how you would have to go back to the etymology of the word hope to be able to understand what 
it actually is intended to mean, even though we already kind of understand what the meaning of it is anyway. But so the Dark Wraith is told as a means of saying, here's basically the boogeyman and here is what he's going to do if you misbehave. So now the Dark Wraith with his deadly volcanic arm, as it's described, is going to mess you up, both children and adults, if you step out of line. And they say that nobody really understands why he decimated the town of Solace, although it's suggested in the story that some people think maybe it's because there was so much misbehavior going on that he just had enough and decided to level the whole place. But yeah, it's probably something else. They do also say in the story that they believe that he's, you know, maybe no longer there. Maybe he's still haunting the remains of the town of Solace and is going to mess up anyone who shows up there. But other people think that he returned to his terrible realm of fire and magma, which is naturally Mustafar, of course. So it's kind of funny that there is you know, knowledge of that idea, or if they just think that it's sort of a, you know, a kind of hell that he's going back to, which of course is traditionally depicted as also a fire and magma place. So it's kind of an interesting comparison to say the least, or coincidence probably is a better way to put it. <laughs> and there are a couple of similarities in these two stories and in other stories here as well. First of all, the notion of the supernatural interceding, interacting within people's daily lives and people not understanding it, ascribing it to the power of the gods, for example, or you know some deadly spectral force that shows up that might be lurking in you know pools of darkness or just out of the corner of your eye, right? So that depiction of supernatural intercession for good or evil is part of this. Also, children under threat, whether it's the scores of children that were eaten by the creatures that uh, the people of Sorosha disturbed, or the fact that the Dark Wraith stories are told to help keep children in line, and that there are two of the three stories about the Dark Wraith talked about kids that were acting up, and finally, when it had gone too far, suddenly the Dark Wraith was the person to whom bad things were attributed in relation to what happened to those kids. And the third thing is a control of creatures, which doesn't necessarily so much apply to the Dark Wraith one, but it definitely applies to the Wanderer and also to the Knight and the Dragon, which I'm going to discuss after the break. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Constant Contact, the premier email marketing solution for small businesses and organizations. I've used their service since 2003, and over the past decade and a half, I've watched them evolve, make the product simpler, more powerful, easy to use, and do everything that they can to help train people to use the product more effectively and for it to work with other forms of marketing like social media, for example. So. Check out sw7x7.com slash email to learn more about Constant Contact and start a free trial. Once again, that is sw7x7.com slash email for a free trial. Welcome back. So the stuff that I talked about before the break, the common elements between these stories, particularly the, you know, the creatures thing I mentioned applies to the knight and the dragon, but children under threat and also the intercession of the supernatural. Both of those apply here as well. So this story takes place on Tatooine and it involves the sand people and the crate dragon, although it's just 
anthropomorphized into one particular dragon that is called Crate. And there is an old man who is captured who turns out to be some kind of crazy wizard who can actually end up controlling the Crate dragon. The implication is that this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, of course. And as he is described being particularly old, it sounds like if you were to hazard a guess as to when during his 19 years in the desert this might have taken place, that it might have taken place closer to the events of A New Hope than to the events of Revenge of the Sith, because he is described as being old and having leathery flesh. So, yeah, much more in line with an Alec Guinness Obi-Wan Kenobi than a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi. But again, this whole notion of putting a date on anything is a theoretical exercise because for all we know, these stories didn't even actually happen, let alone happen the way that they are told in myths and fables. But again, you know, fun to speculate. So the Sand People are getting their livestock eaten by the crate Dragon, and once the livestock runs out, the dragon takes a hankering to children, and so he starts eating the children one by one. So he's taking one a night, and ultimately, the sand people who you know have not been able to do anything about that they're referred to as sand people in the story yes tuscan raiders so ultimately they try to save their own skins by shanghaiing other humans from neighboring towns and whatnot and travelers and various people actually first they tried to steal livestock from another group of tuscan raiders and use that but it was too late because the dragon had started eating children already and it was like why would I eat livestock when I can eat kids? And so they started uh, gathering uh, humans instead and other people from nearby towns. And so I guess you could have a notion of how that's how Tuscan Raiders got the reputation for being so dangerous and kidnapping people because they might have just been trying to appease this crazy dragon that was trying to eat them. But obviously the old wizard gets, you know, wind of the fact that these raids are happening and ultimately goes into the Tusken Raider camp so that way he can be captured and offered as a sacrifice to this dragon. You know, he doesn't necessarily know this is what's going on, but that's ultimately the way it plays out. And he is able to take control of the dragon with a Jedi mind trick of some kind and tells the Tusken Raiders that I'm going to make sure this dragon doesn't hurt you, but you better not mess with anyone else anymore or I'm going to bring this dragon back and he's going to wipe you all out. And so the Tusken Raiders are like, hey, that's a good deal. We're happy with that. And so both Obi-Wan Kenobi and the dragon disappear and they are never heard from again. But unlike others of their kin, these Tusken Raiders never raid outside of their, you know, of their situation again. They just live off the gifts of the desert. And that is the end of that. And that is the end of our look at these three stories from Myths and Fables, and we'll cover another set of three tomorrow. But for now, <laughs> like I said, that's gonna do it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.